Hey everyone, welcome back to New Slang. I hope all of your weeks have started off right. I am music journalist Thomas Mooney, and you're listening to episode 99, where I am joined by Daniel Fluitt, lead vocalist and de facto leader of one of the greatest bands to come out of Lubbock, Texas, the Thrift Store Cowboys. If you've been following me or my writing for a while, you'll know how pivotal I believe Thrift Store Cowboys are for the modern Lubbock sound, which I consider the new Lubbock sound era, if you will, as everything that's happened since 2000. I'd interviewed a handful of bands before, but really Daniel and Thrift Store Cowboys were that first quote-unquote Lubbock band that I had ever really had any interaction with. There's always been this bit of mysticism to Thrift Store Cowboys. It was partly the traditional alt-country sound of that era, Think like Whiskey Town, Old 97, Sunbolt, Wilco, that type of alt country. But there was always this other atmospheric post-rock element that was happening where it, it also felt like explosions in the sky or this will destroy you. And they were never as heavy as those bands, but there was always an atmospheric edge to that. It was like a sepia tone desert theme. They always felt just a little bit left of center for your traditional alt country as if they were like an art rock band doing alt country. Their albums also captured that dry desert air just a little bit more so than a lot of the other artists that have come out of Lubbock. Like I don't really think of the desert when I hear Joe Ely or a Waylon song. I just think of Lubbock when I think of those guys. Thrift Store though, they, they just always felt a little bit more from the desert. And I'm only thinking about this now, but I think that that's probably because most of the band aren't specifically from Lubbock itself. Like in Daniel's case, he's from Post, Texas, which I know a lot of y'all are thinking, well, that's just the same thing as the South Plains. But in reality, that's where you drop off the Caprock. It's a little bit more canyony out there. It's not just rolling plains. To get a great sense of that, go and uh, look up a photo from space of like the Llano Estacado. I feel like that upbringing has to have played a major aspect into what this, why this band sounds the way they do. I could definitely ramble on about Thrift Store Cowboys and their music for forever, but we'll go ahead and keep it a little bit short. If you've never heard Thrift Store, I would encourage you to go and start with Lay Low While Crawling or Creeping. That record just sounds like everything you'd ever want from a record about and for West Texas. Before we get started though, go ahead and hit that subscribe button wherever you may be listening. Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, etc. and so on. Go follow me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore newslang. Go give newslang a like on Facebook as well. They're all great places to further the music conversation and keep up with what I have coming out both writing and podcast wise. Alright, here is Daniel Fluid. About I guess I've been starting all of these out with little bit of the how you've handled the the pandemic the quarantine and obviously with you you're not only a, an artist but you're you've been you're throughout the years have been working with Sugarlands distilling right have been like going to all these festivals and obviously right. this knocks out like basically all live music what have y'all yeah what have you handled this what what's the I guess the game plan, what did you guys change to? What, what have you been doing? So for Sugarlands, we are still employed. Um, thankfully, I guess, but, um, yeah. So everything that we've had that we had on the books for 2020, all the festivals and events, um, 
have either been postponed to the fall um, or have been anything that's coming up or, you know, that has already happened or is coming up in like June or July. Basically, everything is getting canceled. And the way the way it's looking, um, I don't see that they're going to be able to have any kind of large gathering or festival or event or anything like that. Um in 2020 period. So I, I would totally, um, I, I think in probably by the, there's already been some festivals that have canceled like in the last like week or so. Um, I think you're going to start seeing a lot more. And I think once we get into like July, um, that's going to be the telltale sign because then once, you know, basically once, um, a Bonnaroo or a Coachella, any of those, you know, the big ones, Austin City Limits, any of those cancel, then I'm pretty sure you're going to see almost everything cancel after that. So for us, we've just been um, just kind of doing a lot of a lot of bullshit, um, you know, just kind of today we were building fat packs that we're sending out to uh, to uh, our distributors in for Christmas. So they're like these candy cane fat packs and they suck putting together. So it's basically like doing assembly line stuff. We've been doing a lot of, uh, a lot of cleaning, organizing, doing some inventory on our stuff, but um, yeah, we're slowly running out of things to do for sure. So we're just kind of, just kind of wait and see right now to, you know, see what, what, what's going on. We have a, a an event that we put on called the uh, roaming man elevated evening that we did last year. Um, and we're still have it scheduled for October, but I have a, I, it's still up in the air again. We're just kind of waiting in, to see what, or, you know, what, what everybody else is doing. And, and also, you know, if, if we think it's going to be safe by then to put it on. So, yeah, just kind of uh, a lot of just work that um, I it's not really my job, but, you know, they're paying me money. So I guess I better do something right. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, all the, the stuff that you don't want to do is probably being done now. You know, like you said, counting inventory and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it, none of this stuff is 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 very fun at all. You know, it's like it makes me miss. Uh, working festivals and events uh, so bad, you know, it's just like, but I mean, that's like every one of my friends and everything like that. Cause a lot of, a lot of the folks that live in Knoxville, there's a, a pretty big contingent of uh, people that, you know, it, that, you know, events and festivals directly impacts, you know, um, from crew members to tour managing to, you know, people that are actually, you know, putting on festivals and events. So, I mean, there's just a lot of people that, you know, just are trying to have to think outside the box at this point to, you know, try and get something done. So. Yeah. Like we, we think about this all affecting the artists. And of course with, when you do that, you think of the, the front man or the front woman of all these. Right. But like there's so much um, behind them that, that is affected too. It's it's not just like the, the 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 lead singer. It's the band. It's the the sound engineers. It's the all the like the thing that we had done. Me and Charlie did for the Monday Night Lights. You know, it was about right. everyone else. You know, it's um, there's just so many people that you that are affected by this that you maybe didn't necessarily think of when when all these festivals and these shows and exactly. And I mean, you know, and with with like you know the musicians and stuff. 
um, the one good thing, you know, at least there's an outlet for some of that stuff. So you, you know, you can still put out music, you can still do like, a, you know, a live stream to try to get a little bit of money, but you know, for your folks that are behind the scenes, your crew folks, your, you know, your festival organizers, you know, your, your sound guys, all that stuff, you know, there's just, they're just without a job right now. There's nothing they can really do, you know, other than just kind of sit and wait and stuff. This episode is sponsored by Wicker's Mesquite Smoked Jalapeno Jelly. It's owned and operated by my buddy Wes Wicker, who makes the jelly in small batches for the best quality and freshness. He smokes the peppers with mesquite and uses pure cane sugar to make the jelly. What you get is this great blend of smoky, sweet, and spicy. It's addictively savory. For those uninitiated, Wicker's is a great addition to any chef's kitchen. Part of what makes Wicker's so great is just how versatile it really is. For starters, it makes a great meat glaze. Throw it on a batch of hot wings, use it on some pork ribs, some pork chops, really whatever you can think of. Eat it on biscuits, cornbread, bagels, or toast. Throw it on a ham or turkey sandwich. Another super simple but effective way is to get some cream cheese, throw some wickers on top, and then grab your favorite cracker. Wickers is currently stocked at a handful of places in Lubbock and on the South Plains, as well as some Fort Worth and DFW locations. But the easiest way to get your hands on a jar is to head over to wickerstx.com. That's W-I-C-K-E-R-S-T-X.com. I'll throw a link into the show notes for good measure. They currently come in two varieties, original and now hot, if you need just a little bit more kick in your bite. You can order anything from one jar to a case of 12, whatever fits your needs. Again, that's wickerstx.com. Okay, back to the show. The, you've been, obviously, you've had your ear to the ground on a lot of great music that has been coming out simply because, you know, you, you've been working these festivals. You obviously used to work at Rouse Records here in Lubbock. Right. You've been in a band. You've been all over the place. Um. What, what I guess like what has been like the the thing that like you look back and you kind of go, oh I saw insert name here before they became you know rock star or you know like a household name in the I guess the yeah I mean well thing. one that just kind of jumped off jumped um, in my brain right right now is just um, like the time when you know Jason Isbell used to come through Lubbock and play the Blue Light you know. Um, I mean, that just isn't going to happen anymore, you know? Um, and there's lots of bands, um, that I didn't, I didn't get to see, but a lot of, you know, huge bands that have come through Knoxville that are, I mean, you know, Chris Stapleton played preservation pub, you know, like the Avid brothers played the pub and it's just like, it's, it's weird to me to even think about having a band like that you know, actually playing and such a small, you know, venue, but, um, yeah, I mean, I want another one that, um, I feel particularly proud about is, um, when I basically, I, I booked and it was the first show that I ever actually booked and had to promote. And it was, uh, when we brought Devochka to Jake's and, um, and we opened for him and it was kind of terrifying because, you know, I have, I have to pay a certain amount to the band that's guaranteed anyways. Um, and so just, you know, the week before just kind of like 
sitting on pins and needles waiting, you know, hoping that people would, you know, come in and get tickets. And sure enough, like the day of the show, all these people from, you know, people drove from Austin and Dallas to come and watch them show, watch that show and ended up selling out. So it actually worked out really well, but like they're one of those bands too, you know, they, they don't, they don't play that often um, in the U S and you know, most of the venues they play are all, you know, large theaters and stuff like that. Yeah. It, for some reason, Lubbock has always been a like day of buy tickets. I think that's like, everywhere to be honest, really? you know? Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing here as well. Um, I mean, unless it's just like a, a huge band, you know, just, you know, playing, you know, Thompson Bowling or the spirit arena or something like that. Um, you know, or there's, there's some they're pretty, pretty big, decent venues here that are run by live nation. And a lot of those shows, you know, some of those shows will sell out, you know, in like 30 minutes or something like that. But for a lot of those, yeah, it's a lot of day of tickets here as well. Yeah. You mentioned Jason and I think like, this is going to be like the, the, I don't know, like the, the mythical show of Lubbock is when he, uh, played, you used to do those, uh, you used to have like a Sunday night thing at schooners and yeah. it was during yeah. Christmas and, um, he played and Amanda played and you guys had like an impromptu thrift store show. I think that's going to be yeah. like the, the show that everyone was there, you know, though, but right. Obviously- <laughs> you were either there or you weren't there, but if, if you weren't there, then you're you'll, you'll say that you were, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. That yeah. Was- that, that was, uh, that was, that was pretty awesome. I, I miss doing those shows at Skinner's a lot too, because you know, it's just kind of there. It, it, we always played on, you know, Sunday or Monday night and there's, you know, there's a, there's not very many venues that, you know, are going to book bands on a Sunday or Monday night. So we used to get, you know, great touring bands that just needed a, you know, some, somewhere to play, um, on a Sunday, like a slow Sunday or Monday. Um, and some of those shows turned out to be really, really great. So I miss those a lot. You know, the thing on that Jason show, I remember like it was, it was either like Christmas or like the, it was either Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, or the day after Christmas, something like yeah. that. And you know, uh, the the one thing that surprises me most is like I don't have any fucking photos of that show. I didn't take like one photo on my phone. And yeah, <laughs> like so, well, like it was like, still kind of in the yeah. I guess it was. I mean, I guess I guess phones back then it still had photos on it, but it was it wasn't so pre- prevalent like it is now. Um, where, you know, everybody takes like, that's a huge thing at, you know, festivals, you'll see, you know, thousands of photos of, you know, a certain band or different things like that. But yeah, I think everybody was just so like into the music that I think everybody forgot to take photos. I know I didn't take any either. So like, this may have been like when I had a Blackberry still like that long yeah. ago, because yeah. it was definitely before social media. And I remember, um, you had just texted me that afternoon or that evening or something like that saying, Hey, come to the show. Jason is going to be playing yada, yada. And so then like me and one of my friends went and it was just one of those shows, like, you know, for free. Yeah. Jason Isbell, acoustic, Amanda on fiddle. And like, just, you know, it was just a special thing. Like I, one of the things I remember specifically about that show too was, that like Jason played a few covers in there and like, that's something that he just really doesn't do. Exactly. Yeah. But he was just, you know, for him, it was just fun, you know, and like, 
and that's why, I mean, he's still, you know, they're, they're two of my favorite people in the world. Cause you know, they're just, they haven't changed at all. They haven't, you know, they're huge rock stars now and they're, you know, they're, but they're still down to earth and he's always treats everybody, you know, the same as he always has. So, you know, for him, it was just, you know, he likes to play music and it was fun. So I was super stoked that he, you know, even wanted to do it. So. Yeah. Like I've, I guess like the, the only times I've seen Jason have been here in Lubbock and it's that schooner show and a few times at blue light. And, um, I, like that last time he played was right around Southeastern mm-hmm. and like, it was like a Wednesday or something like that. So it was a, an older crowd and it was like, you could drop the proverbial pin in blue light and hear it, you know, and it was just a, like there was that moment where you just knew like, Oh, this is like the last time he's going to be in here. Right? <laughs> For sure. I mean, like he, you know, he comes through Knoxville now quite a, you know, usually about once a year. Um, and he'll do two shows at the Tennessee theater. Um, and Tennessee theater holds about 1600. And I mean, he sells out both shows in you know, 30 minutes. And I mean, and he could have easily, you know, one of those guys, he could probably play a whole week of shows anywhere and probably still sell them out. You know, I, he, I, he did that at uh, the Ryman last year, he did seven shows in a row and sold all of them out. So uh, and I, you know, I've talked to him about it and, you know, just kind of asking him, you know, where, you know, because uh, at a certain point, it's just like, you know, you, you need to start playing like arenas, you know, you, and I, he's done a few arenas and stuff like that, but um, he really enjoys just kind of doing the, you know, the, a, a theater show more, more so than, you know, an arena. Um, it just sounds better. It's more intimate. So um, I don't, I think he's, he's, just fine and happy just, you know, doing two or three shows in a certain place and just staying there, you know, so. Yeah. I think in a, in a lot of ways, like you, you wind up saving some, some money anyway, simply because you're not having to, uh, buy gas for like those two days or whatever, you know? Right. Yeah. You're not having to travel. You're not having to, you know, you're, you're not having to unload and load, you know, all of your, you, you know, because now he, I think he travels in like three buses and they have like a semi trailer and all that stuff. So, um, it's just less, less, um, overhead, just overhead and less having to, you know, time and, you know, setting up and driving and doing all that stuff. So, yeah, you did remind me of like one of my favorite questions. It's the, what band like could play in the same town, like the same thing, like, um, the longest, like the, the most consecutive, like sellout streak. You know what I mean? Like could, how, how many days would Jason as will be able to sell out blue light, uh, in a row? Oh, I mean, you know what I mean? I, I exactly. Like, it's like, I think he could probably do like a, a easily a two to three week residency. Um, and I mean, the, th- the problem is you'd have you know, some people that would buy sh- buy that ticket for every day you know the same people would just go and watch that show so i would say you know yeah there and then here if the avid brothers played like the pub i mean they could do a month straight easy you know no problem yeah i think that would be that would be the like, that's something that will never happen obviously but i love the idea of some band just kind of playing the same venue yeah. every damn day. I've tried to have, yeah. I've tried to 
get like blue light to, I, I think blue light would do it is like, <laughs> let's just, uh, try and do like a, a week where it's the same artist, but like in different, uh, capacities. Like you would still yeah. have like Monday night doing songwriter night, but they would host it. And then that next night would be like a, a song swap with a few other buddies, you know? And then like the next night would be like a stripped down version. And you know what I mean? Like, right. And then like yeah. all culminate on like a Friday, like main, like full band show or something like that. Yeah. I think that would be a really cool thing to. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I, that's why I love the blue. I mean, like that when we did that live in Breathing Week, it was, I mean, they, they were, they went ahead over heels for all of those bands and were just so great to work with. That's why I've just, no matter what, whenever we, you know, come back to Lubbock, we always want to play the blue light. I don't care. Or like people are like, well, maybe you should move to a bigger venue. I was like, no, I don't care. I'm still going to play here. Yeah. It's fine with that's me. A, that's another thing. The live and breathing. I think you guys were a little bit ahead on shaky graves. Yeah. Where- I had no idea who he was. It's, it's funny because, um, so we had, um, the whiskey shivers who are one of our really good friends and they're a great band. Um, so they were playing and we had, there was some guy that ended up having to drop out and I guess they were talking to Jess and, um, they were like, well, you know, my buddy, he's a, his band's called shaky graves. And, uh, just asking if he could just, you know, jump on the bill and, I'd never heard of him. I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, if, if you guys think he's good, then I'm sure that he's fine. And then of course he like completely stole all of the shit, you know, every show that we had, he, his show was by far the best, you know? Um, and of course with a live and breathing, the, the videos that they put out, he's, he's, his has been played almost as much as, uh, than I think he's, up there with almost, you know, the Aver brothers, um, for like the top one or two for all the live and breathing, um, shows total. So yeah, it was very, very lucky. Cause we had, again, no idea who he was at the time. Yeah. Funny, funny story about that is, so he had a really good time when he was here. Um, and so that was like the last night of the shows. Cause it was Rodney and shaky graves and, whiskey shivers and uh chris hudson which pretty awesome to have all four of those people on one night of you know one show um anyways so of course everybody's having a good time well we end up settling up at the end of the night and go out and i parked right in front of my car was like a merch bin and i look in it and it's all a shaky final and t-shirts so I grabbed that and he's back at the house, um, they're partying or whatever. And then, so the next day they leave to go back to Austin and I get this call from, from Alejandro and he's just freaking out because he left all of his guitars at the blue light. <laughs> and those are, I mean, and these are like, you know, you know, thousand dollar guitars, um, and so we were just trying to figure out um, how to get them back. And then my buddy, who used to play in this band, Down 1450, um, he was actually living in Austin and he was working for George Strait. Um, he basically was, uh, he built out George Strait's like traveling museum that goes around with all of his shows. Well, George Strait was playing, I guess, on that Tuesday or whatever. 
And so we ended up just getting him and pack, packing it up with all of these, you know, priceless George Strait items in this like traveling museum. And he ended up taking it back and giving them back to shaky. But it was just, it was funny because I, I ran into him. Um, I think it was, I think it was at pilgrimage festival a couple of years ago in Franklin, Tennessee. And he had just played and we were backstage and I walked up to him and I was just like, I bet you don't remember me. And he's like, um, yeah, you, you look familiar. I was like, you remember that time when you played Lubbock and you left your guitars there? And he was like, holy shit, dude. You know, just like, thank you so much for getting, getting those back to me and everything. You completely remember right off the bat, but, uh, it's really funny. Just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember like when he, um, cause obviously you guys invited me to watch the sessions be recorded. And right. When he, got on stage in that barn and was kind of just, you know, sound checking, getting ready. There was like, you know, 10 people in that room and it was just kind of like, Oh shit, this is going to be fucking special when he started playing, you know, and you didn't even know, oh. never even heard the songs before, but you were just kind of like, you know, you're the hair on your arm started raising up. Exactly. Yeah. He, he was like in January and it was freezing cold. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, it was, it, yeah. You could tell like once he started playing and, um, it, it just sounded, it, it sounded so good. It was just like, okay, yeah, this is going to be great. Yeah. You mentioned Rodney Parker, one of our favorite people. Oh yeah. Same. Um, he's, he's, uh, He's definitely one of my best friends and it's, it's really cool for me because, uh, I've, I've, I, we actually, the first show Rodney Parker ever played was with us. Um, Brooks was actually, um, booking a venue in, uh, no, Santa Fe called the Paramount. And so it was our first time to play there. It was really awesome room. Um, and it was Devochka and then us. Or, I mean, it was Devoshko's headlining. We're the middle band and Rodney was opening acoustic. And that was the first time I ever met Rodney and he played. And, and then, so I've seen him just kind of grow from, you know, him just doing solo to his first band show, which was really bad. Um, but then, you know, just like kept getting better and better. And then, you know, once they put, you know, the Blow the Soot Out is a great album and it sounds amazing. And I was just like, wow, that I mean, you know, that album is fantastic for your, you know, your first album. But when he put out the Lonesome Dirge, it just blew me away. Just like, holy shit, dude, you're about to be famous. And of course, you know, same same thing. He he said the same thing, you know, after hearing Way Lord. Lay low while calling her creeping. And of course, neither one of us are famous, but you know, just that's just kind of <laughs> the way that it goes, I guess. Yeah. Um, I think like the Lonesome Dirge is like one of the most important and influ influential records in, in Texas music. Oh, yeah. I, I would totally agree because I mean, it's just to me, you know, you know, everybody talks about Turnpike and Turnpikes was, they were great, great band. But I think that, you know, they, they they probably wouldn't be Turnpike if they hadn't, you know, had listened to the Lonesome Dirge. There's a lot of bands, I think, in Texas that, you know, kind of took because it, it did. It sounded different than anything that came out at that time. You know, it was still Texas country, I guess, but it just had so many layers and and, you know, just different elements of of, of other types of music involved in it that it 
And I mean, in the songwriting alone is just fantastic. I mean, some of those songs like brother, I mean, that song kills me when I listen to it. Yeah. The, yeah, I've talked with like Evan and RC about the, about how like, I guess influential and paramount Rodney's songwriting was for them as songwriters, because you can definitely see, um, them as like that next wave, that next, uh, exactly. You know, that next version of what Rodney was doing as far as the, the storytelling and like the, that you mentioned, like the, the, the layers, like there's so many, like they were almost like, you know, you said like, are are they a Texas country band? I don't know. I mean, like they play country and rock and roll in Texas. So I guess by proxy, by definition, maybe, I don't know, but they, they always felt like a, like an indie rock band. Like they, they always felt like they had listened to, um, a bunch of like indie rock stuff that was popular in the, the early two thousands, like the strokes and Interpol and, like the national and like took those right. kind of guitars and applied them to like country music. I totally agree. I mean, I, I think that they, you know, yeah, because when it came out, you know, and I, I know that well, they were like really trying to push it in Texas and I, and I'm, I still tell them to this day, every time I talk to them, I'm just like, man, you guys need to come out to Tennessee sometime, you know, do like an East coast tour. Cause I think they, you know, they would go, go really, really well here. Um, you know, I mean, they, they would, they would do great anywhere they played basically, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, give them a little kick in the butt and get on the road, Yeah, <laughs> which I understand that too. Cause I mean, here we are, you know, I haven't toured in many, many years and, you know, and that's okay. I mean, everybody gets older and things happen and I understand that, but it's just kind of, but you still, they're, they're one of my favorite bands. So it's just like, I want to hear them play all the time. Of course. Yeah. You know? The, um, one of the things that like, we were, I guess like one of the, one of the things that I've always been talked or told about was, you know, the, the, that tour that you and Rodney and one wolf went on, yeah. that was like, you know, like the, a very, what I've heard, I don't know if it's been romanticized more simply cause it's in the past, but obviously that bill would have been incredible to see. What, what do you remember oh. most about that? those times oh i mean it was it was wild and crazy just like you could imagine i mean because we basically we uh rodney had his van and trailer and then us and one wolf took our van and so we i remember just when we were about to leave we we had to wake up and drive literally from lubbock straight to tucson which is a good 15 you know 14 15 hour drive and, uh, and so we had packed a lot of our, you know, musical equipment and stuff in Rodney's trailer, but we, of course we weren't thinking about bags and everything. So <laughs> Rodney had left the night before. And so we wake up to, you know, load everybody into the van and there's like literally no room to put any of the bags. So it's just like stacks of bags in between people you couldn't even see the person sitting next to you it's just like people were having to hold bags in their laps and stuff so it was ridiculous and then i mean but it was great because you know we we had some really great shows we had some really terrible shows as well but i mean that's just kind of how uh, how it goes with you know being on the road and i you know i think back to it now and it's just like 
I feel sorry for all the people that we ended up crashing on their floors. Cause it's not like, you know, it's one thing to have a band of, you know, four or five people, you know, crash with you, but it's a totally different thing when you you're getting like 14 or 15 people, you know, sleeping like sardines on the floor and everything. So, um, but it was great. I mean, we, we all had a good time. We didn't die. Um, we didn't, you know, starve to death. Um, I think we ended up maybe breaking even. So that's a, about the best case scenario you can come up with on a, you know, a three band tour. So, um, it's definitely one of those, those tours I'll always look back on fondly and, and glad that we did it and glad that everybody, all three bands were, were those three bands that got to go, you know? So, yeah. Did, uh, was, was Iron Man on that tour? Was he part of the yeah, Iron Man? Iron Man, um, he was definitely on the tour. Um, he was our merch guy. Um, so, you know, but he was definitely, you know, being Iron Man as well, you know, kicking ass and taking names yeah, while he's there. His name is Iron Man. I mean, exactly. There's a reason why he's called Iron Man for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I love Iron Man. Best story I ever have about Iron Man is you want to hear it? It's, it's oh, yeah, great. Absolutely. Yeah. So I was playing at Schooners one time and there was a crowd of people like, so at Schooners, there's this big round table up at the top, right next to the stage where there were all of these just assholes there, just yelling out free bird and, you know, doing the same old shit and telling us to play something that they, that they know. And I'm, you know, I'm just playing off. It's like, yeah, don't know that one, but here's one that sounds just like it. And then I just play whatever. Well, Iron Man, you know, is, you know, three sheets to the wind, having a good time. And so he, he gets up, um, and I was playing a slow song and he gets up to dance with a, with a, a young, young lady. And, uh, I don't know if you don't know Iron Man, if anytime Iron Man's really drunk and he tries to dance, it's, it's almost guaranteed that he's going to spin her and probably fall down or slip and fall or something like that. Well, sure enough. He's dancing with this girl and he goes to spinner and he falls and he falls into um, one of the tables that was holding one of the speakers on the right side. And he just crumples like a ball on the floor and the speaker flies up in the air, but ends up landing on the ground straight up. So I just kept playing and Iron Man looks up at me with the craziest look I've ever seen in his face. And I'm just like, oh, shit, what is Iron Man going to do? And he gets up turns and runs full speed at this table and dive bombs the whole table. Everybody's drink just flies all in their laps. <laughs> <laughs> just fucking dive bombs them. And of course they end up kicking Iron Man out, banning him for like six months. But everybody who sat at that table ended up getting up and leaving. So I was just like, way to go, Iron Man. You did it, you know? Got those assholes out of here. So that was one of one of the best Iron Man stories. Um, <laughs> That's like the. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Lord of the Rings. You know when they're oh at, yeah at Helm's Deep and there's like the the one little the one uh, weakness at Helm's Deep is like that hole, and so like, right. then they send an orc to like bomb it or whatever, and like none of them can shoot him with an arrow. Like Legolas doesn't can't hit him and he just like dives in there and it blows up and then of course that's what that sounds like just the, yeah. the ultimate <laughs> sacrifice right there it was <laughs> the ultimate sacrifice by iron man i will always uh, uh 
hold him up highly in, in, in my book because, uh, I mean, for many, many things, but that was probably one of the coolest things I've ever seen when I was playing live ever. So, yeah. What was, uh, what were those early first world cowboy days? Like, what was the, like those very at the beginning, what were those days like? Um, so, so when we first kind of started with Amanda and everybody, uh, we were all still going to Texas tech. So a lot of it was, you know, we would end up booking shows on like Thursday, Friday and Saturday. Um, so we would kind of, it was, we, everybody kind of had to schedule, you know, their classes and everything so we could get out early on Thursday and, you know, try to leave around noon so we could get there. Um, but it was a lot of fun. I mean, we were just, a lot, we didn't know what we were doing at all. So, you know, just traveling around playing as many places as we possibly could, lots of honky tonks, lots of opening for Texas country bands that never listened to any of our songs ever. Um, so not going to name any names, but, um, yeah, so it was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, lots of, uh, Lots of drinking beer, um, lots of punching each other in the face when we get drunk. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of really good stories that I probably could tell, but I probably shouldn't. <laughs> um, yeah, like me and Jeff would always just go and we'd get drunk and we'd just walk out to like the backyard or something and we'd just kind of trade shots in the face just to make you feel alive, you know. And I'll look back at it and it's just like, well, that's stupid. I mean, but also, I mean, I was an idiot then too, because I, for one, I didn't, I, you know, I didn't play guitar, so I wasn't tethered by anything. So I used to just go completely apeshit on stage. You know, we're sitting there, you know, now, of course, our music is a lot more like indie rock and different, you know, things like that. But back then it was way more, you know, just country. And so it's just like playing country music and I'm just running around like an idiot on stage, just screaming in the mic and jumping off of speakers and all sorts of crazy shit. Um, that's, that's how I ended up tearing my ACL was I, we played a gig at Cujo's, which horrible, horrible gig. One of the worst gigs we've ever had to play. And, uh, sorry, I'm going to quick. Damn dogs. So we were, So yeah, so we were uh, sorry, you can cut some of that stuff out. But uh, so we were playing at Cujo's, and uh, you know it's just a lot of fat dudes there, and nobody was listening, no one cared, and we were playing, and I was just getting hammer drunk because I, you know, whatever, I was just gonna get drunk and have fun, and I just was yelling at people and screaming in the mic and pointing at people when I was singing, and we ended up driving most of the people out of the venue. Um, so at the end of the night, I had already jumped off of the, the stage there. There's like a bar. Like, so the stage is about, I'd say three feet off the ground, but then there's a bar on top of it. And I had already jumped off of that. Um, for just because I'm an idiot. And then <clears throat> I remember we took a break and it was like our last set. And I ended up getting a gin and tonic and just, drinking all of it and I was so drunk and I remember getting on to the thing to jump off but I was I was drunk so I was you know kind of I was either going to fall back onto the stage or I was just going to have to jump and so I ended up just jumping and I jumped way too high 
and came down and landed on my awkwardly on one leg and it just completely tore my ACL and MCL. And I had to play the rest of the set on my back with my leg elevated up on to a, a chair. So <laughs> uh, horrible. Not to, not to laugh at your expense, but yeah, the, the laying down, what, did, what was, uh, was that a full band show? Oh yeah. Okay. So like, what, were, what was everyone else doing? Like, were they just kind of like, yeah, well, Daniel fucked his knee up. So <laughs> just kept, we just kept playing. Yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. And then I ended up doing it again at green hall and screwing my knee up there. It was like the uh, one time we played at green hall and they told us that we were banned from playing green hall ever again after that. So Man. I can at least say we got banned from green hall, I guess. Yeah. See, you guys missed a, a merch opportunity right there. You guys could have had like banned from green hall t-shirts. I know we should have, but we were, you know, we were young. Didn't, we didn't know anything. So we were just kind of like, Hey, we're in a band. It's fun. Let's play music. You know, and you think about like merchandise or anything like that. So we were definitely pretty green at that time. Yeah. Pun intended. Yeah. This episode is sponsored by Smith iron and design. It's owned and operated by one of my good friends, Aaron Smith and his dad, Sonny. As the name implies, Smith Iron and Design specializes in creating custom metal and woodwork. They have a vast array of metal signs that are perfect wall decor that'll tie our room together. They design everything from welcome signs to family crests, flags, and Texas cutouts. They have a series of these metal wreaths that are perfect for your front door, and you are able to change them out depending on the season. Are you a sports fan? Well, there's nothing better than having a giant logo of your team on the wall of your den or office. When it comes to signage, the possibilities are really endless. What you should really do, though, is head over to smithironanddesign.com to get a look at their vast portfolio. That's smithironanddesign.com. I'll throw a link into the show notes as well. They don't just do signs either. Some of the smaller items are custom bottle openers and keychains. Then they also have bookshelves, TV stands, nightstands, and fire pits. You know, it was about a year ago, Aaron built me a custom shelf. I needed something new to store some of my vinyl and everything I had come across. Either the shelves weren't big enough for LPs, or it looked too bland or cheaply made, or to be perfectly honest, too expensive. So I wound up talking with Aaron, and about a week later, I was able to pick up this custom shelf unit that's just been amazing. It's incredibly sturdy, has a bit of a rustic feel. In my opinion, one of the best parts was just having so much control in the process. You can get them as tall as you want with the shelves at the perfect depth and length. Again, for me, this was for storing vinyl, so they had to be a certain height and depth. I've been thinking about getting a custom bookshelf companion piece soon as well. Now, for the most part, they primarily serve the Lubbock area and the South Plains, but for some of their smaller pieces, they're able to ship nationwide as well. Again, smithironanddesign.com. Now, back to the show. Um, I don't know if, we, if you want to talk about this or not, but Jeff was telling me one time, like, you guys kind of, you guys had hired Tommy Allsup to produce a record, and that just kind of never happened. Yes. Yeah, what so... Oh, go ahead. I said, no, like, just what was that story? What was, 
How did that? So we, so we were friends with Tommy. Um, we, uh, I mean, he, so he, I guess he ended up moving to Snyder, um, or kind of in between Fluvanna and Snyder. And I, he, he knew Amanda really well from, you know, the Bob Wills thing. And, uh, and also just like he had, there was like a fiddle camp that she used to go teach at and he would go and teach guitar and stuff. So she knew him and we ended up befriending him because, you know, he's, I mean, Tommy was like probably the coolest 72 year old man I've ever met in my entire life. You know, he's one of those guys that is great at everything he does. You know, he's one of the best guitar players I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, but he's 72 going on 26. So, you know, he loved to get drunk with us and smoke cigars and sit there and play music with us and everything. So we ended up, um, he had a, 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 a studio, um, in Azle, Texas, which is around the Fort Worth area. Um, and we ended up going in, we we're going to record the songs there. And for some reason, it just, we went in and we did about, we did like one or two sessions, I think. And it just, it didn't have, it just didn't have what we were looking for. I guess the guy who was, uh, running, running the, or doing the engineering, it just, it just didn't work out. It's just, it wasn't anybody's fault or anything. It was just kind of one of those things where it's just like not quite the sound we were wanting to go after. It was definitely more kind of thin sounding and that we definitely wanted like big guitars and big drums and all of that. So we ended up not, you know, doing it, but Tommy was always a really great friend with us. Um, I've got a good story about the time that I, that Tommy also <laughs> nearly died or got killed in my show. You want to hear that story? Yeah, of course. Let's go. <laughs> All right. So we were playing this festival in Dallas and it was like a, it was, it was in multiple different venues, um, kind of like a, a smaller version of like South by Southwest or something like that. And so we were playing, um, and, uh, Played a great show. It was tons of people. And Tommy's son, Austin, also, I don't know if you you know him. He's a good musician as well, and he's a good guy. But him and his buddy and then our buddy Chris Wrights and our buddy Guitar Man, who used to play drums for us. Yeah, Guitar Man used to play drums for us. But uh, um, <laughs> they were all in there, and they were getting drunk and having a good time. Well, they ended up taking their shirts off during our set in the bar. And I guess they had bumped into some, some like rough looking dudes and kind of almost gotten in a fist fight in the bar. And I guess they ended up breaking it up or whatever, but I didn't know this. We were, you know, we were playing. So we get off of uh, off stage and, you know, go to the merch stand and, you know, I get a beer and then they want to go in the back and, you know, back to the van and smoke a bowl. And I'm like, okay, so we ended up leaving to go out to the van, which was parked behind the venue. And Chris writes, my buddy, an old roommate, he like slams the door on his way out. Well, I guess these guys thought that he did that towards them again. And I had no idea anything was going on. So we're sitting in the van and all of a sudden I see probably five or six, just huge dudes walking out towards our van. And I'm like, Oh shit. Um, so 
I'm, I just tell the dudes, Hey guys, you know, I'll handle this. Uh, uh, you know, if they don't, they don't have a problem with me. I'll get out and I'll talk to them. So I'm outside the van talking to these dudes and basically have them, you know, talked off, you know, and the guy was really cool with me. He's like, man, you guys sounded great. I don't have an issue with you. It's just your boys being ridiculous. I was like, yeah, I know they're just drunk. You know, let's go back in the bar. I'll buy all you guys a beer. We'll just, you know, no problem. Well, right then when they were about to turn around, Austin. So I guess a couple of nights before we had um, stolen one of those Coronita salt and pepper shaker bottles from some restaurant. Well, Austin dumps all the salt and pepper out and jumps out of the van and starts swinging these Coronita bottles at this dude's head. And this guy ducks and just, and just lays one into Austin punches him in the face. And then it was on just like a huge brawl. Everyone's punching. I'm trying to break all these people up. The bartender and the bouncer are going to come back out there. And, uh, and, uh, and, and during all this melee and everything, Tommy comes out there and, uh, he's arguing with this guy who punched Austin and I'm trying to hold Austin back and Tommy, uh, which a lot of the old, old school musicians, they always carried a gun in their boot. Well, Tommy had a 38 in his boot. So He's arguing and pushing on this guy and this guy's arguing back and pushing on Tommy. And so Tommy reaches down into his boot and pulls out this 38. Well, this guy reaches back behind him and pulls out a nine millimeter. And I'm just sitting there like, great. So the one, the guy who flips a coin with Richie Valens to get on an airplane dies at a thrift store cowboy show. You know what I mean? It's like, I would never be able to live that down. (laughs) It was the most insane thing. And so Eventually, we got them to put their guns away, and they went one way, and we went the other way. But we were just like, <laughs> "What a nightmare situ- uh, situation!" You know, it could have it could have ended up a lot worse than it did for sure. Oh, definitely, yeah. The it goes two routes. Yeah, he, he either dies at a first floor show or he becomes like kills somebody. Or, yeah, you know, either one. It's just like, route, you know, yeah. So. so. Uh, <laughs> Um, man, I was going to bring something up and I completely blanked. Oh, I was going to ask, uh, on these, what, what, uh, record would that would have been, would that have been had he, had y'all gone that route of him producing? Uh, it would have been the great American desert. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So all, all those songs on there, um, there was, I think one or two songs that we didn't end up recording. And then there was like one or two or three songs that we ended up recording that weren't going to be on that album. So. Yeah. Now you guys like really found your sound when you guys went out to Arizona and started yeah. out there. Did you guys feel like that was a, a turning point or was that always just something like in hindsight? Well, it's just kind of one of those things where like for us anyways, like, um, our first two albums we did both in Lubbock, you know, and they sound, they sound fine and everything, but it was just kind of the whole taking a whole year to record an album where you're just, you know, cause a lot of things change. And so you're basically just, you know, saving up money to get some more recording time and then somebody going in there. So they, it ends up taking way longer than you, you think it does. And so we were actually, is when we were on tour with the Vodka. Um, or we played a show with them. 
it was before our tour, but we played uh, one of their shows um, in Denver with them. And we were eating, uh, I guess, eating lunch with them or brunch or something. And they had mentioned that, that we are cause we were talking about recording and they were like, Oh, you should check out wave lab. That's where we just did our last one. And it sounds amazing. Um, and you know, told them it's like, you know, Clux co-records there. Um, and so we were like, okay. So we looked into it and Craig Schumacher, he's, he's the guy who runs wave lab. Um, great, great dude, great engineer, great producer. Um, and I mean, it was, way more affordable than it was to do it in Lubbock, to be honest with you. Um, because he charged by the day instead of the hour. Um, so we ended up just going out there and luckily we had a guy who was uh, a guy named Jason Dell who lived in LA and he was kind of managing us at the time. So his parents actually lived in Tucson. Um, so we actually ended up getting to stay with them for the whole, you know, nine days that we were out there. So we didn't have to, you know, pay for hotel rooms or anything like that. So it ended up working out great. Um, but I mean, his studio, it's just very open concept. He had, I mean, any kind of instrument you can imagine he had it there, you know, he had probably five or six different drum kits. Um, I mean, tons of guitars, tons of bass, I mean, everything analog. So, you know, there was nothing in there really that was digital at all. So that was one of the things that we really wanted to do is just like try and get like an old school sound. So basically everything you hear on Lalo is completely analog. It was recorded analog. I mean, he mixed it by hand and nobody does that anymore. Um, so it, it was it was a pretty amazing process because, you know, once you get everything recorded and and also with you know doing and doing it to tape you only have 16 tracks you can't go over 16 tracks it just doesn't work um so you had to be very picky and choosy about you know what all needed to be on there um so it kind of made us you know sit there and kind of almost simplify things to in a way and plus he was really great about recording drums and using very minimal you know, mics, but, um, I always, you know, if you, Colexico is one of my favorite bands. And one thing that always stood out to me with Colexico is just like their drums sound so great on those records. And I always wondered how they, you know, got those, that drum sound. And it turns out it was just the room. He would just mic the room, you know, and it sounds great. So, um, but yeah, it was, uh, we did it all, we recorded and mixed it all in nine days. So it's just kind of, you know, we were there, we were doing 13 hours a day, you know, a lot of times going, going in at like 10 o'clock and, you know, leaving it, you know, 11, sometimes midnight, you know, so it really, you know, got us in there and made us concentrate and really, you know, work on it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's one of, it's, it definitely changed the way that, um, first for definitely our recorded sound and, and it definitely kind of changed the way that we, went about like when we're going to record how we can kind of figure out exactly what needs to be in there and what needs to be left out. Yeah. The, that record is just so sonically tight. Like it, it is such yeah. a cohesive record. Um, and I've always kind of thought of it as like, you could almost listen to it in two ways. You could listen to it as a singer songwriter, alt country record. Um, or th- really like it's almost like a post-rock record in a lot of ways 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because I mean, he, you know, just the guitar sounds and tones, and then you know, having the pedal steel. But you know, there's you know, we put like an Ebo on his pedal steel on a couple of songs. Um, he, there was a there's a song where he's playing pedal steel, and it uh, he ran it he ran his pedal steel through a uh, a Leslie organ. And so part of the song, you know, when it's just, um, when it's not spinning, it sounds like a pedal steel. And then he would just hit the switch. Craig would hit the switch whenever he wanted it to start spinning. And it almost sounded like a, you know, like keys or an organ. And so it's just like, there's a lot of different things that he brought to the table that kind of expanded it sonically for sure. Was that one of those things where, you know, for like the first time or maybe not even necessarily the first time, but like where it was the record sounded like what you thought the band sounded like, like in your mind. Yes. Yeah. And it's also the first time when, you know, because, you know, before we went out there because we knew, you know, we're only paying for this certain amount of time and we only had this, you know, a certain amount of money. Um, so we definitely, there was the first time when we like set, sat down and, rehearsed all of those songs ahead of time. So, you know, we, we, we probably worked on those songs for a good two to three weeks before we even went out there, you know, just running through them over and over. And then, you know, once we got in there, some of that still ended up changing while we were there, but, um, but it definitely made everything a lot tighter and, and it definitely came out the way that, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I'm still proud of and I, you know, it still sounds great. Um, so it, it definitely sounds more like thrift store Cowboys to me than definitely our first two albums that came out. Yeah. I've always thought that like Layla was the, um, I need to actually put this out sometime. Uh, the, like probably the the best or like in the at least the top three records of of Lubbock in the last twenty five years or so. It's just a, well, a thank masterpiece, you. you know. Um, and speaking of like Lubbock, obviously Lubbock has always been such a um, when it comes to like the art scene, the music scene. You have all these different kind of bands, these different sounding bands, but like they all kind of it's a tight knit community in a lot of ways, right? Um, who like what's been like what can you tell go into some uh some old stories of of these old love it guys well when we first started out we would uh there was a couple of bands that we used to play with quite a bit um one was uh watermelon fast pass um i met those dudes out at south plains and they were doing some really really creative interesting things um especially for you know talking about the early two thousands, um, definitely, um, influenced by like ween and Weezer or the old school Weezer stuff, but, um, they were great and they were just, you know, it's kind of like our, you know, brother band, um, for a while. Um, there's another band, um, more bluegrass called cut in the grass that played out there as well. Um, and we used to play at Einstein's, you know, that was kind of the place to play, back in the day before, you know, the blue light became the blue light, um, yeah. that we all know now. Also to like, uh, not to cut you off, but to set the table, I guess, is that back in the, the early two thousands and especially like more or so in the nineties, Lubbock was more of a, a rock and roll band or a rock and roll town than a Texas country. 
Oh, for that. sure. So like that, yeah. it felt like there was a little bit more, like it's, it's definitely progressed that way. But back then there was a little bit more, like there's more rock bands. Definitely. I mean, they're most of the bands that, you know, I knew or played with, you know, in the early two thousands were all pretty much, you know, rock bands. You know, there wasn't, wasn't really a whole lot of country bands. I mean, the only one I can think of that we actually, you know, played some shows with back in the, back in the day was, uh, the Ben Atkins bands. Um, and they were great too. I mean, yeah, they had Jed Hughes playing guitar with him. You can't go wrong there. So, that's um, one of those, uh, it feels like Ben Atkins is one of the, the forgotten early, well, I guess it's not technically early. I always say early, but, uh, one of those early like Texas country bands that was, yeah, I mean, he had cool it stuff and kind of just, uh, I don't know, like lost some momentum there in the, yeah, the he, 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 uh, I mean, he, they had, you know, they, that country girl angel song, they were playing that all over the state. Um, and it was kind of one of those first, you know, just like that, that was a big hit. Um, and then, you know, he got more into more into Americana stuff. And so his second album, you know, the one with Maybell and all of that, um, and that was actually out, he put out on rounder records. Um, and I think buddy, uh, buddy Miller produced that album, but it's, it's great. It's a great album. But I, you know, Ben, he, he's, he is a interesting cat. He's one of the smartest guys I've ever met, you know? So he, he went to law school. He wanted to be a firefighter. He wanted to learn German. And he's just one of those guys that he, when he wants to do something, he just sits down and and does it. So it's just like, I think he got kind of burned out on playing music for a while. And I think now he's trying to, you know, start starting to maybe, you know, play out a little bit more, but nothing, I don't think he, you know, definitely doesn't want to tour or anything like that. But yeah, I know he put out a few singles last year. Yeah. And I know, um, he was doing a lot of like writing with Eric Willis. Uh, yeah. Cause I think like, I get, he's been kind of like from the Wichita Falls area, I think. Yeah. Like, so yeah, he's, uh, yeah. I can't remember, uh, what the, I don't know what town, but yeah. Yeah, but it's 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 a small. He's from a small town around Wichita, Wichita Falls, and I think he lives in Wichita Falls now. Yeah, I remember talking with Eric about. I guess they were, uh, not the last record, but the record before that Eric was working on. They had done a whole bunch of co-writing on that record, and I think he yeah, he's a great. I mean, he's a great writer, and you know, he's he's a really good guitar player now too. I mean, and he he's he's playing pedal steel and everything. So I mean, he's he's definitely learned a lot, you know, when he first started playing, it was, you know, just a lot of GC and D on, on, you know, acoustic guitar. And now, I mean, he's a picker. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, going back to early Lubbock or early two thousands, what was, uh, what were some of those, those bands that you think that were kind of been lost the time simply because it was such a, it was still like in a time where it was hard to put out your own record. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some bands that um, were playing and and got some notoriety um, even a little bit before we started playing. There's a band called Spilling Poetry that was they were great, um, just a really good rock band, um, kind of like your late '90s alternative rock bands. Um, yeah, I know Jeff those got- sent me those records, and yeah, it's one of those like, oh shit, I didn't know we could do this in Lubbock. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, they were. They were very talented. Um, I mean, there was a lot of just, you know, 
of course, you know, one wolf and in, and Daniel Markham doing everything that he's doing. And he's so prolific and has put out all, you know, albums that completely sound different. And just because he wants them to, you know, he, he, he wants them to sound the way he does. And I totally respect that. And I think it's awesome. I mean, he's one of my favorite songwriters and guitar players. I mean, he's, he's definitely, you know, filled in on guitar and bass for us on tours and different things like that. And he's one of my best friends. So, um, I would definitely, you know, throw them out there for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, and then, and then you have guys like, you know, Will, Will Clark Green, who, you know, everybody remembers him when he was just, you know, the smiling goofy dude who was, uh, you know, hosting the songwriter jam at the blue light. And now, you know, he's, he's big, big rock star on a tour bus, you know, it's pretty awesome to see that, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, in all of this stuff, like I, I felt that, I guess like w- over time of being a, this, a journalist and everything, I, you think, I think you realize that it takes talent and hard work and, uh, more than anything else, it just takes perseverance and like luck. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And, and Definitely. I, I mean, like that's, the, the the margins are so small, like one band being, uh, you know, just really successful, and another band kind of just being, you know, marginally successful. Or you right, know, I mean, it happened to insert name here, you know. Exactly, you know, and like that's the thing about you know with any band, you know, it's 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 more luck than anything. You you know, you just think about how many great bands are out there, and you know, and I I. I do this or me and Jess do this all the time where it's just like, man, this band is so good. Why aren't they, you know, more popular or more famous or, you know, playing bigger venues or, you know, they're, you, you go and watch a band at, you know, at, uh, on stage and, you know, there's like 10 people in the crowd and you're just like, this is bullshit. You know, there should be way more people for this band than that. But I mean, it, it is, it's, you know, it's a lot of luck and, you know, it's a lot of, it's, it's a lot of networking too. You know, it's, it's finding the right people that know how to, you know, when you want to put out an album and you, you want to, you, you know, you have, there's a lot of steps and a lot of money and there's a lot of things that go on that go into it in order for it to be successful. I mean, you have to, you know, you have to spend money to make money basically, you know, and it's, that's what, that, that's one of the hardest parts for, you know, smaller bands that are just trying to do everything on their own. It's just like, you know, there comes a point when, you know, for us, it's like, well, do we <clears throat> do we spend money on radio promotion or do we spend money on publicity? Because we can't do both. You know, we don't have enough money to to, you know, put this album out the exact right way. So you just kind of have to be picky and uh, and choose the way that you think will work best for you. Um, but, you know, definitely luck has a lot to do with it. Um, and then, you know, just just playing, you know. I mean, that's the thing you look at a, a band like American Aquarium, who's, you know, played, they play, you know, they're from North Carolina and I've known BJ for a long time. And, um, you know, they, they play out here forever and they were just kind of spinning their wheels for a while, but they just kept at it and kept at it. And, you know, once they hit Texas and blew up there, it's kind of just, they're on an upward arc for sure. You know? So, I mean, you just kind of have to just keep working at it no matter no matter what, you know, no matter if you are losing money and you've got to like, you know, try to figure it out, but it's definitely worth it. I'd say, you know, just to, 
to keep playing and doing it, I would, I would say. Yeah. Like there's the, you have to, uh, in anything, like there, there is the being available is like the best. It's like the easiest skill you can have is to be available. And obviously that means playing a whole bunch and working on, on that and just being in the moment and playing free shows, playing, you know, playing festivals for no money, playing, you know, anything that you can do, you know, opening up for bigger bands, you know, a lot of times, you know, the, when the, you know, you're, everybody wants to open for a big band, you know, so you can play in front of a, you know, huge crowd, but you know, half the time, you know, you're only getting like a hundred to $125 a show. You're not, you know, you're not making a lot of money doing that, but you're hoping that you can, you know, at least sell a few hundred dollars worth of merch as well. Yeah. A, to go back to the Lubbock thing, obviously when you guys moved out to Knoxville, you know, you, um, not, I guess very soon after there, Ross Cooper moved to Nashville and, he, he, yeah, he had already, he was already living in, uh, yeah. So he was living in, uh, in Nashville, probably I'd say a year, maybe uh, two years before we, uh, we moved out here. Yeah. Long story short though, like you guys became like really good friends over there in Tennessee simply because, you know, not necessarily simply because, but you know, a lot to do with both being from West Texas. Right. Uh, I guess like what have what's the what's it been like I guess uh being out there with another Texan that you just kind of like always just go, "Oh, you know what I'm talking about." Cuz there's something right. to it. There's all like I think like there's always something to uh just not even having to to talk yeah. about it, but like just knowing like, "Oh, you're from the same place as I am. There's some familiarity there." Oh, for sure. And I mean, like the thing about Ross is, you know, so when Ross lived in, in Lubbock, I, I mean, I knew of him and I, you know, but mainly it was just like he would come into Ralph's and, uh, we chat about music occasionally, but it wasn't like, we weren't re- like really good friends or anything like that. And then once we moved out here, um, we've just slow, you know, because he was in Nashville and I live in Knoxville and we, we do so many events in Nashville, um, we just always hang with them. I mean, most of the time when we, you know, if we're, we're going through Nashville or, you know, flying out of Nashville, we usually just crash at, at Ross's place. Um, and then vice versa, you know, we've gotten him out to, you know, play some shows out in Knoxville, um, played some shows at the distillery before. Um, and so, you know, he's, he's just a great dude. And I mean, and his music is, I mean, it's, his last couple of albums are just fantastic. So, I mean, I'm hoping that, you know, he can just keep playing and keep touring and, 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 and keep it up. And, and I mean, I, I wish nothing but the best for that guy. Cause he's, he's definitely one of my really good friends out here now, yeah. but yeah, you know, talking to him about Lubbock, it's just like, basically all we do is just, you know, have fun, drink some beers and talk about like tons of stories and, ridiculous times and all the people that we used to hang out with and all that stuff back in the day. So it's always, uh, it's always a, a crazy time and a, a good time as well. So, yeah, I've always, I, I told Ross this, um, he, he got so much better once he moved to Nashville. And I think it's because he had such a, 
you know, just a, a magnified focus on becoming a songwriter and becoming uh, that 24-7, you know, like that was on his mind, not school, not having to take classes and, you know, obviously right. he's got the rodeo background, so he was doing that for a while, you know, just trying to juggle all these different things at, at once. And then when he moved to Nashville, it was like such a, this is what I'm, I came here for. Yeah. And I mean, and that's the thing about there, you know, there's a lot of really great music in Nashville. There's a lot of really terrible music in Nashville as well, but it's just like, you, you have to, but living there, it's, it's almost like a rite of passage for a lot of people. Um, and so it takes time, you know, when he moved there, it's just like, yeah, you want to do that, but you have to, you have to network, you have to go out to shows and meet people, you know? Um, and he did that, you know, he, he, he worked on it and ended up, you know, uh, you know, going in and writing, you know, doing, uh, song rights with folks and, you know, you know, some of them he really enjoyed and he, they got some really good material out of, um, and some of it, he was just like, I don't even want my name on that song, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so it's like, but it, but the, but at the same time, you know, at least it's like, it's making you sit down and, you know, it's like your job, you have to sit down and you're, you have to write and, and do your thing. Um, and, you know, and, and through that and, and just through meeting people, you know, his band is, they're all just like ace players as well. So, I mean, just, just the thing about Nashville is, you know, the Nashville people hate Knoxville people. It's really weird. Um, cause they, <laughs> they think that we have it easy because, uh, if you're a musician from Knoxville, you, do, you haven't put in your work and your time in Nashville. And just like, to me, I'm like, well, it's kind of the same as like living in Lubbock or living in Austin. It's just like, well, A, I can't afford to live in Austin and B, it's so oversaturated with people that I really don't want to live there. Um, so I don't care what they say about it. I mean, um, I love Knoxville and there's no way I would trade it for Nashville any, any day, but, um, I'm glad to see that like Ross has totally embraced it and is just kicking ass out there. Yeah. Speaking of Rodney Cooper or Rodney Parker, Ross Cooper is like in a lot of ways, very similar to Rodney, you know, like in, especially like sonically. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like the, they're like, a, cause you mentioned his band. Like they're so damn good, and it's it's almost like a lot of his songs are obviously about you know cowboy stuff, right. rodeo stuff, West Texas country, but like mm -hmm. that's also kind of like a garage rock band. Yeah, so. and and I I love that because it's it's like you know writing about something that you've, you know, that you live in your surroundings and how you grew up and, and all of that. But, you know, just because you think, Oh, it's a, you know, I wasn't, this is a rodeo song. It, it needs to be just straight country that, you know, I love the fact that they're like, no, I can write a rodeo song and make it sound like an indie rock song. And it still has the same, you know, still that same vibe and that same feel. And I think that that's kind of something that we tried to pride ourselves on too, is just like when, when we were recording, you know, it's like we wanted everything to be open, you know? So like, so I, you know, one of the, one of the, my favorite things that people have said to me, you know, in the past is just like, they'll text me and say, yeah, I'm driving through West Texas and I put on, you know, Layla while calling her creeping and it's like the perfect, 
background music to this, you know, to this driving out here for, for the landscape. And so like, that's kind of what, why I think that it's like, to me, instead of it being like, Oh, you have to do this, you have to do that. And, or it has to be a certain sound. It's like the world, you know, the world's your canvas and you have the paintbrush, you can paint whatever you want. And so that like with Rodney and with, with Ross, it's just, it, you know, they can, you can still get that vibe and that feeling um, of what they're wanting to portray in their songs, but it, but it doesn't have to, you know, it doesn't sound like country or the way it's supposed to, or how some people think that it should sound. Um, and so it just comes across as like this just completely different sounding, you know, music, which is great. Yeah. The, I guess like the one thing that people maybe can get wrong about West Texas is that they think of, they think that West Texas only sounds like one thing. And there's a lot right. of different ways to sound like West Texas. Like when I think of West Texas, I think of y'all and I think of like the same thing for like explosions in the sky yeah. or like another side of West Texas. You think of like after driving. Yeah. You know, like, or, and then like, and then like Terry Allen, yeah, Terry Buddy Allen. Holly, you know, it's just uh, like Don Williams. I mean, it's just, you know, it can be, you know, but yeah, you're right. Like explosions, sky at the drive-in Mars Volta. I mean, it's all West Texas for sure. Yeah. Even like, I, I still like my, I think like the perfect Lubbock record, quote unquote, perfect Lubbock record is Tillers by Wade Parks. To me, that's oh, like yeah. what sounds like what, what specifically what Lubbock sounds like in my opinion, like the, for the, sure. The best, I mean, like, Lubbock songwriter record. Yeah, to me, it's like that one, or of course Lubbock on everything, or um, the uh, uh, Dust Bowl ballads by Butch Hancock. Those three, mm-hmm. like if if like if I was going to you know come to some you know somebody from Knoxville was like, hey, what's Lubbock like? Just like here, listen to those three albums, and that's Lubbock right there. You know, right? Yeah. Uh, speaking of like the, the Lubbock stuff, you've not made one of them yet, but hopefully the next one. The 806 songwriter stuff. That's that's yeah that's supposed to be. Hopefully we we get one done this year. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Hopefully in the fall, something like that. Um, if there's time. I don't know if there will be time simply because of all. If I don't know, I'm not going to get on the sidetrack there. But uh, but if if it's going to fit because of festivals being moved and everything. But right. Um, when it comes to writing, like what have you what have you been doing lately? What have you been have you been able to uh, take some time and, and work on some stuff. Yeah, a little bit. Um, so I've just been kind of n- nothing's can like, uh, there's a couple of songs that I've, I've finished. Um, and then just kind of coming up with ideas, um, trying to think of, of writing and in like a bigger picture. So almost like, um, almost in a, you know, a concept type way, I guess, you know, like having a central theme, and then trying to write a group of songs around that central theme, but still not basically where it, you can take all those songs individually and listen to them. And you can come up, you can have your own idea about what those songs are about. Um, but in my mind, this is what, you know, this is the theme of the whole thing. Um, so yeah, I've just been trying to like, 
come up with some stuff. Like I've been trying to write um, about some of my, some of my ancestors um, that all, you know, kind of grew up in Northeastern New Mexico. Um, just trying to take some of those like good stories and, and everything and trying to turn those into some songs and, it's been difficult, but you know, it's just like anything else. You just got to sit down and keep working at it. And eventually, you know, you'll come up with some stuff too. So um, I'm excited. I think maybe we can try to record some stuff. Tugboat has actually been working on a, a home recording studio at his place. Um, you know, since he can't play any gigs right now, he's just trying to, uh, he's got a pretty sweet little setup so he can, you know, folks who just need some drums on a certain album or whatever can just basically, you know, send those over to him and he can record them in his house. So hopefully we can maybe, you know, sit down and actually get, get, get some stuff laid down this year, which would be great. Yeah, of course. Yeah. We, we need another, another thrift store record or, uh, I mean, it's only been 10 years, you know, it's only been 10 years. So (laughs) yeah. Uh, I, I know if I just went out, here in Lubbock, I could pick a hundred people and like a hundred people would say, yeah, I need that next thrift store record. So, yeah. Well, um, yeah, you got, I guess plenty of time to, to get something done if we're, especially if we're shut down for a while. Exactly. You know, so hopefully we can, you know, get, get everything, you know, kind of recorded and hopefully, you know, get, get some of the Lubbock folks to, to record on it from there and just kind of send it back and forth and kind of see what we can come up with for sure. So yeah, for sure. Hopefully it doesn't suck. All right. Thanks for listening to another episode of new slang. Be sure to check out the thrift store Cowboys catalog. Check out episode sponsors, Smith iron and design and wickers jalapeno jelly. We'll see you later this week.